Welcome to the Health Unfiltered Podcast. I'm Dr. Rogelio Ralzola, a PhD in health, exercise, and sports science, a strength coach with over a decade of experience in personal, collegiate, and professional settings, and a sports scientist whose main goal is to use testing and data to maximize your health and performance. And I'm Brooke West, holistic registered dietitian, practicing the perfect combination of a functional nutrition, science-based root cause approach, and hippie magic, with areas of expertise in women's health and hormones, gut health, and micronutrient balance. We believe that health is multifaceted, but not as complicated as others make it seem. Our mission is to share what works and what's BS in the health industry, all while having a good time doing it. Expect us to share everything from new research to tried and true health philosophies to alternative health therapies and the occasional controversial topic. Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Health Unfiltered. It's me, Brooke. I am here, half of Health Unfiltered. Ro is not here with us today. He is busy, busy in spring training for his job. So I'm flying solo uh, and I'm here with a friend and a community li- community member. We live on the same mountain together in Costa Rica. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Brooke. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited. Okay, before we dive in, I want to introduce Jason because he's a man of many talents um, and it's been nice to get to know him. But we're going to focus this conversation in an area I'm really excited about because we've never talked about anything like this on the podcast before. But Jason is the founder of Regeneration Nation Costa Rica. It's a podcast exploring who's doing what to bring Costa Rica towards environmental and social well-being. As a permaculturist with a background in business, he bridges ecologically focused entrepreneurs with the 21st century tools and business practices they need to really thrive today. Jason's also huge in embracing the holistic well-being. This has been a journey for him for over 25 years when he really healed himself from his childhood ailments by changing diet and focusing on nutrition and experimenting with cleansing protocols. The revelation of using food as medicine, which you all know I'm also very, very passionate about, has really inspired, you know, a lot of these paths that Jason has taken. Um, one of which I have enjoyed is his Thai yoga bodywork. Incredible experience. That was really, really beautiful. But he's also done all kinds of things. Whole Foods catering, teaching food preparation classes, working with essential oils, permaculture education, and community development. Jason's lived here in Costa Rica for 14 years, which is pretty crazy, and really works to empower the regenerative movement on multiple levels that's happening here in Costa Rica, which is a big part of why I moved here. So I'm really looking forward to diving into this conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm honored to be invited. Yeah. What's been going on in your world? I feel like last time we talked, you had just gone on this beautiful journey into different communities. How was that? <laughs> um, it, it was many things. I, I guess I'm still processing it. I woke up this morning stressing over, I got to write a blog. People keep asking me. I got to like get it all out. Uh, so soon coming. Um, but yeah, the... You know, we set out on an adventure. It's it was, it was the classic hero's journey. You know, we set out. Uh, it was three vans driving twenty passengers around to, uh, well, we did seven communities in nine days, and then we went to seven more communities in a second nine days with half the group the same and half the group different, and 
you know, we pitched it as let's go see intentional communities. Let's go see these eco villages. Who's doing what? Like some of the passengers were shopping for community. Some of them own land or they live in community and they wanted to get inspiration and see like how other people are doing it, you know? And some people were just kind of looking for an eco vacation, you know? Um, it was definitely adventure travel. <laughs> I have, I've been a lot of places in this country and I've visited a lot of projects, but specifically of the like 15 places we went to, I'd only really been to about five of them. So they were our guinea pigs. You know, we took them on these crazy roads up to some of these places um, and put the, the vans through a, a, a good run in the process. And so that was really so much of this for a lot of the passengers and myself as well. The communities we went to honestly kind of ended up being secondary to the to the travel, to the, to the group dynamic, you oh, know, wow. and it reminded me, I used to drive adventure travel tours for the green tortoise back 20 years ago in the States going to national parks and stuff. And that's when I got the first idea to do eco village tours. And when I moved to Costa Rica in my own school bus, I wanted to drive these tours and, you know, something about when you get, like, if you've, you've done, you host retreats. And so you, you know what it's like when you get, some number of people together for three to seven days and they're just like all in it and they're doing little things together. There's a bonding that happens. Well, when you're getting in and out of vehicles, going to new places, some people think like, Oh my God, are we going to die? You know, like some of these, <laughs> these experiences that people have, they're like, Oh, my creature comforts. I don't have them. And how can I live without them? And, and, you know, people are, getting comfortable being uncomfortable together, that's transformative. And oh, yeah. really the transformative experiences that people were having became a focal point of the trip. And we saw a lot of amazing places. We got presentations from all these founders on all their varying visions. I would say, you know, I couldn't really pin down a favorite. Really, I would say that having talked to the founders of all these projects and more before designing the tour, I already kind of had my favorites, you know, and that didn't really change too much, but the favorites for me were not the favorites for everybody. Everybody looking for community really has their own idea of what that is for them and what they prefer. The one thing that came through for me and a lot of others is that community isn't a thing. There's not a community that's a thing. Community is a state of inner being. It's a process. It's a process mm. of inner being. And it's ever changing. Like each one of us individual, we were morphogenic. And as we age, our various aspects of ourselves, how we express ourselves in the world, the kind of agreements we make with ourselves and others, that changes over time. And any community that lasts over time also goes through those processes of change. And so earlier in my life, I was more of, I'd visited intentional communities all over North America as a vagabond and a backpacker for six years. I lived out of my backpack visiting communities all over the continent. And 
mainly going toward like the intentional community type of genre Mm -hmm. and living here and having my own intentional community, or at least wanting to be intentional community. That was mainly just us as founders living in community with the volunteers, staff and guests that we had eating me three meals a day, including people in on decision-making, having group processing meetings, practicing community, even though we didn't have a community, right? We, we only had a few shareholding members that most of them didn't live with us. And so as my ex-wife and I, we had the project, but we had a community for anybody was there. They were experiencing community living, right? We really were cultivated that environment and they would come and go. And that was difficult to deal with sometimes, but we still were living that experiment. And over those years, I, like many others in the intentional community enthusiasm field, I think were a little judgmental about regenerative neighborhood projects that call themselves communities. I've been here 14 years. I've seen a number of them start and die off. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen a lot of intentional community projects start and die off as well. Mine being one of them, you know, it's, it's hard. It's really, uh, uh, it takes, there's a lot of things that have to go right to pull that off with longevity. And one of those things that has to go right is a lot of money or a lot of time. Yeah. You can't, you know, so with this tour, I really dropped into, I guess, leading up to the tour, I had already started the process of releasing my taboos or judgments against these developer driven communities and just Mm -hmm. accepting that, you know what, who am I to say it's not a community? I'm not there at their annual meetings. I'm not there in their chat groups. Who am I to judge? Right. These people are planting up, they're buying a hundred hectares or something or acres of 50 acres or whatever size of pasture lands. Mostly, most of these projects are regenerating land. They're planting centropic food forests. They're encouraging their uh, member owners to build ecologically mindfully and to have practices that create a certain type of neighborhood. And they're not necessarily doing governance together. They're not doing group processing together outside of chance disagreements that come in the chats or something. (laughs) And some of them at later stages wish they had that and then they backpedal and they try to create it. But again, and and many of these projects have members that aren't there um, most of the year. Mm-hmm. And so the places are filled with renters. Hey, you know what? <laughs> A lot of the intentional communities that are really intentional in this country that I know of that have these group processing and the dynamics and the governance systems, they also are half filled with renters half the year. So just because a development designs itself with the promise that if you buy a house here, build a house here, we'll rent it out for you. Isn't necessarily something to judge because it ends up, they're just honoring the fact that in Costa Rica and many places in the world, people travel and they have empty houses and they need to be rented out. And we just live in that world. So uh, there's very few, very few places that we visited that have most members living there most of the year. Um, 
So anyhow, those are those are some of my some of the big takeaways for me, and in, in more than just which place is better for what type of people and this and that. I'll process that as I go through all the presentations and release them as uh, podcast episodes and stuff, so people can get the see the founders and what they're sharing because different people are gonna have different ideas. There's not a single place we went to that somebody on the trip didn't say, I really like that one. Even the ones where people are like, yeah, I wouldn't take people back there. <laughs> there was people that were still like, well, I liked it. Yeah. So, you know, there's something there, there for goes everyone. The, yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to hear the debrief and like see where you went. So I'll have to keep an eye out for those podcast episode and blogs, which we will definitely have linked in the show notes for those two that are interested. Okay, I have so many questions, so I just want to like dive right in. <laughs> You're a very multi-talented human, but today we're really going to focus the conversation on the ecological regenerative piece because um, I have so many questions. I love holistic well-being, but this is a topic that I don't get to talk to a lot of people about. And it's actually how I ended up here in Costa Rica. I started coming into the country in 2020 and I was visiting different communities and seeing how people were living because I had this really strong ping that what we were doing in the United States was not working and it was time to try to live a different way. And then I just started dropping in and visiting different communities and different people. And um, I guess I call them communities, but yeah, neighborhoods or you know what I mean, but going to see them and it was really, really eye opening. And it made me realize just how much it was not in resonance to have this very individual mindset that we have in the United States. I don't know about you, but I grew up uh, near Washington, D.C., which has a reputation. I didn't know any of my neighbors. We never spoke to them. I didn't know their names. There were, Sure, there was an HOA. There was even a community gathering place. But, like, we weren't actually living community. Like, it, that's not how it was. It was abnormal to wave to someone and speak to someone. Well, then fast forward, I go to school and I live in the South a bit, and it's very different, and everyone is in your business, maybe not always for the right reasons. So I had this really weird relationship with how do I interact with the people around me and where I live and how we care for the little piece of land that really we're just we're renting and tending to for a blip of time. Um, so all of that has obviously changed for me. But I would like to start by hearing your story of how you got into this. You shared a little bit, I guess, about the backpacking and the traveling. But like paint a picture for me of like, was there a life before and after? Did you grow up this way? Or was this something that you discovered at some point? Well, um, I grew up in Detroit, quite like DC, standard American. I, I mean, I grew up in the city. There, there was no community center really where I lived. I mean, there was, but there were bars on it and we just chose not to go there. Um, <laughs> the, what can I say? I mean, it, it's where I grew up. It's where all my family still is. It, Detroit's gone through a huge renaissance right now. Uh, even, even in the regenerative field. So, you know, for me though, I grew up with a standard American diet. Uh, we were, we we're pretty poor really. Um, and we were, you know, often even government supported food su uh, supplies and, you know, parents did their best to, to support us. Thankfully, my dad was able to afford to me to go to a, a really good private school. So I got a great education. 
Um, but you know, dietarily, they both my parents grew up in households that pretty much followed the standard American diet system. And so that's just what they knew. And that's what we had. And all my aunties and uncles and everywhere around me had this processed food um, mentality, heavy grain, carb, you know, bread based cheese, dairy. I still eat cheese, dairy, bread, all that just on a whole different level, whole different quality and a very, very different frequency. Um, but that was the mainstay. And I, at 17 years old, started getting ulcers, indigestion, acid reflux. Um, by the time I was That's 19, so young. my, my caffeine overload had been leading to narcolepsy. I would just fall asleep to mm. having conversations. I got in several car accidents, falling asleep at the wheel. Um, I was kind of messed up and I was super bloated all the time. Like I just wake up in the morning and drink a glass of water and I felt like my stomach was on fire. So I had the blessing to be ill at a young age. And that blessing, you know, I went to the doctor and he gave me an antacid or something and be like, oh, that didn't help. Here, try this one. And then, oh, that made it worse. Oh, here, then try this one. Be like, dude, you... No, 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 no. You got to like take my temperature, take my blood, tell me to turn my head and cough, like do something to check me out before you give me another drug. Yeah. And I'm not taking it. And I walked out of his office and that was, I didn't know anything about the medical industry at that time or nutrition or anything. I just knew that I was not taking a third drug from this guy with him not contemplating or testing what my symptoms really were caused by. And so that was my first rebel action against that lifestyle. And then I started with that. I did a little self-study. I mean, we all know salads are good. <laughs> Overdoing it with soda and too much meat and processed foods and candy and all that's not good. So I decided to do what I already knew I should do and started, you know, making different choices when I went to a restaurant and get a, get a salad more often and try to do those, those small choices, those little things, you know, even if it was a salad with chicken on it, you know, I was like, I, I'm going to do that instead of getting a chicken sandwich, you know? And that was my first commitment to myself. Like I'm in pain <laughs> and, uh, and the, the people I know that are supposed to help me aren't helping me. So yeah. I got to at least do what I know. And that was really powerful. I would say after about a year or so or less of doing those kinds of changes, I had an opportunity to move out to Phoenix, Arizona. And that was huge. I, I was working for Guitar Center. They needed someone to, uh, uh, to help open a new store out there. I was whipped with the computer system. They're like, help us train people. Come, come be one of our new managers. So, and I knew I needed to, like, for me to really be well, I needed to leave my current environment. I needed to make mm -hmm. strong changes. And with my current environment, it was really tough because it was just, I was just always at friend and families eating sausages, you know, and hot dogs and whatever was around because they didn't have salad or whatever. Or, um, not to blame, but just 
I changed my environment. I went out to Arizona and within a short period of time, I was like, oh, I'm an adult now. I'm like 20 or 21 and I'm off on my own and I'm going to do civic duty. And so I went and I took a volunteer position at the voting polls. And there was this woman there who was like in her 80s. And she just had this brilliance to her like I'd never seen in anybody before of that age. Just shining. Like like you could almost turn the light off and find her. You know, it was it was remarkable. And and so and she always had these little jars of drinks that she these powders she'd put in water and drink in these. And after a couple of days, I asked her, um, couple days. It was a voting poll. Somehow we were there for more than one day. I forget the circumstances around that, but I, I asked her and, um, what do you do? What, how do you pull that off? You know? And so, well, my, my daughter's a a distributor for like the crown diamond for the, the Sunrider herbal food company. That's like a network marketing thing. And she does these classes on nutrition and physiology and, and the products. And you can come if you want. They're free. <laughs> I was like, I want to come. And I, at the time, oh, I had already, I had already begun going to the Self Realization Fellowship Temple and studying the work of Paramahansa Yogananda. So mm. I had already begun uh, adopting the mindset of a vegetarian diet. So I'd already, by reading his stuff, I was like, you know, I'm going to try this vegetarian thing. Um, and then I went to her teachings and she wasn't preaching vegetarian diet, but she was preaching whole foods diet yeah, and herbs and cleanses. And she was breaking down how the organs of the body and everything works with each other, dealing with food and just food and, and their fancy herbal supplements, which was their high octane, you know, nutrition, easily assimilated and, and great for cleanses. So I was like, I'm in, you know, I was, um, it's time balloon animals at the time I'd quit the job with guitar center and I, I'd already begun my entrepreneur ventures, um, as a balloon artist and running sound at a blues club and stuff. And so I just decided to use my money to, cause I, as a, like my other lifestyle, like with the Yogananda stuff, I was thinning down. Like I didn't go anywhere anymore. I didn't want society. I was like just meditating, reading books. And so I spent my money on high octane food and going to these class, my time going to these classes. And I got an amazing education and very fast results from the changes I made like the, the acid reflux had lightened up mm. and I was just not bloated so much anymore. And I was just like, could keep awake, you know, like there was signs that the, 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 the most drastic symptoms were relieving themselves. And so it's was like, I'm, I'm sold, you know, I'm doing this. And then through the course of that, I met some clowns because I wanted to like learn more about entertainment. And they're like, they could get me gigs if I dressed as a character and went to these parties. So they were teaching me about character work and clowning and they were raw foodists and gave me this book, the, the raw food diet. It was like, uh, David Wolf's first book with a couple of other authors, young, super rebel. Every chapter ended with cooked food is poison, you know? <laughs> oh and, God. uh, 
And my roommate at the time was also into Yogananda and, and lifestyle changes. And he read the book and we were like, let's do it, man. Let's get rid of all our pots and pans. Let's empty the fridge of all our condiments. Let's go raw. And we did. And for like a year, we were pretty hardcore raw. I had my, you know, my breakdowns and my cheating days, as I called them. Now I call them balance. Um, and it was extreme and my body went through very strong changes and they didn't always smell good, but I experimented <laughs> with a lot of cleanses and different um, protocols and, and just started reading a lot of books on nutrition, raw food nutrition and cleanses primarily and the spirituality of food connection. Mm -hmm. And that was like, that became my passion. Like, spirituality and diet. And then uh, shortly after that, I had a revelatory experience that sent me out into the desert with my backpack. I sold everything I owned and loaded my backpack with everything I'd need to live the rest of my life. And I walked out into the desert uh, with some Sunrider food packs. And I walked for like 10 days, mostly fasting on these Sunrider drinks. And, uh, yeah, just being with myself, cleansing my mind. It was my first time spending 10 days almost primarily alone without, with the exception of a few people I met. And I was just walking through the open desert, jumping fences mm. where, wherever I found them, you know, and, um, that was powerful. That was really, really, really powerful. And then, you know, then I came to the first time where somebody invited me into their house Oh my gosh, what are you up to? You should come eat with us. Tell us your story. Okay. And I go to my house and I put the bag down and sit at their table. What, what can we make for you? I want to make you like a oh, salad. Actually, an apple would be great. And they're like, no, 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 really. I want to make you food. Like, what can we make for you? I'm like, well, I, I just eat raw. I don't really, you know, I just eat simple. Well, why? And then... I was untactfully telling my host that their food is poison to some degree <laughs> or another, like not, not saying that directly, but ultimately telling them why I think that raw food's better and cooked food is denatured. And, uh, that, you know, you start seeing that look shift over people's faces, uh, enough times and you start being like, mm, maybe I'll just eat whatever they're making. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I I'm good. Say, Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. So that was part of that journey. And, and six years, a lot of life happens when you're living that way. It was immensely yeah. expansive. And I, I died experimented with lots of different diets living in Hawaii for much of that time. I eventually had, a a moment where I was like, why do I have this taboo against fish? I'm living with this community of people that are essentially pescatarian. And I'm living on an island that has never had a population of humans living on it that weren't pescatarian or, or you know, eating fish or if they ate other things as well. But what's, what's the deal? These people are healthy and vibrant. Do, why don't I eat fish? And so I told my buddy, he's like, you know what? Go grab your fins. So I grabbed my fins. We went out to the ocean and he took me spearfishing. And I went out there and he went spearfishing and caught some fish. And I carried the bag with the dying fish in it. 
you'd pull it off the thing and give it to the bag. And then I swam around the ocean with these. And I got to meditate with these fish and meditate on the ancestral history of humans eating fish and really tap into the fish eating other fish and how life feeds on life. And and just something happened in me that I was able to let go of another taboo. Um, you know, during soon after that came my Saturn return and I was aware of it. I knew that I was going to go through transformation and let go of some of the things that were important for me in my past. And I recognized that to shift my life from what I grew up with to the vitality that I was now earning, I created taboos judgments to keep me from the things that my senses might otherwise have wanted. Mm -hmm. And that's ordinary. And I learned this quote that has stuck with me through the decades and been so valuable in my ability to release judgment. And the Buddha said to some degree or another, learn the rule forget the rule learn the rule embody it know why you do it really really get it and then let go of the rule mm-hmm. you know or like yogananda shared a story about uh you know from hinduism of use use the good thorn to pluck out the bad thorn mm. but then throw both thorns away And yeah, so that was, that was a pretty pivotal time for me around that 27, eight time frame. And, um, after another, after my third year in Hawaii, I let go of one of my biggest taboos, which was living in a cold, flat city. And I, by some mystic collection of omens and invitations left Hawaii in December and moved to Minnesota. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, That's uh, a really big December, change. <laughs> okay. In December. And as soon as I got there, I met dozens, really eventually hundreds of people that I, I felt like I had a soul contract with, like we'd been running for lifetimes together. And I got part of a festival community and I spent three years there. And that was a series of taking what I'd embodied living on the road in my wellness practice and everything else and living in a city society, a cold city society where heavy foods and vices are more commonplace and living amongst a tribe of people, you know, like a community, a urban community of people that were not as health conscious as I was necessarily. They had other consciousness raising qualities, but mm-hmm. I was one of the unique ones that had this commitment to whole foods and so forth. And my pendulum swung. My whole life, the pendulum swings, you know, and you find your new middle path. Um, But yeah, so I spent a few years there and eventually I was like, okay, I did three winters. I'm done. And I met a woman who 
uh, had some trust fund money and wanted to put it into something real and didn't want to raise her kids in the States. So we bought a school bus to the kids and everything else we could fit into it and drove down to Costa Rica looking for a new life. And half a year later, we had a farm. And then I was teaching ecological living and food preparation and a lot of other skills to people that were in the position I was 10 and more years ago. You know, I was the vagabond va volunteer at all these different places, learning how all these places are doing what they're doing. And then I had the chance to be a steward and head that up and welcome um, the younger me's in to have their own growth experience and light their torch from, you know, the flame that had been offered to me by so many others. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of what brought me to Costa Rica and it was the kind of the first half of my time here. I did that solid for seven years and uh, ended up going back to the States for a few years to deal with my, my son who was born here has a chromosome abnormality and we wanted to go have him checked out. And after a few years there of therapies and everything else, I just said, you know what, I'm, I'm ready to go back home. And I came back to Costa Rica and that was, it's been, I don't know, three or four, four years or something since then. So that's the quick of my journey. And yeah, I just really love being in this climate. I love being in a place where I can get whole foods, fresh, vibrant year round, where I can grow a garden and I don't have to cover it up for half the year. Um, that's my personal preference and yeah, what keeps me here. That's so beautiful. I love one of the things that you highlighted on your journey was just how this constant realignment was happening and you were in flow and just not being rigid to this one specific way of being. And I think that a lot of people can tend to get stuck. And sometimes with nutrition, it feels like this almost like religious dogma or something where it's like people are so narrow minded on it. And quite admittedly, I used to be like that in some ways because I went through the Western medical model. You know, for six years, I received an education that was one way, which was Western medicine to go into a hospital to do the things to be a part of the system um, very quickly broke out of that actually never worked in that in that field beyond what I needed to get my medical credentials but I think that that's been a big lesson for me is just learning and realigning because there's so many other ways of being like even for example when you, you brought up like cleanses you know that stuff used to make me cringe because I would think of juice cleanses or I would think of like the stereotypical just kind of like marketed by the Kardashians thing you know, and I'm like, well, our organs already cleanse. We don't need to do that. Now, obviously, I have a very different way of being. And I love I, I approach it the same way you as you where I'm like, I'm the experiment. I'm the guinea pig. And I'm learning about what my body needs and what works best for me. And I've I don't know if you found this, but when I'm living in different places, different things work better and having availability Absolutely. to certain foods and flowing with what's available to you. So there's so many different pieces and so many different ways of eating and being uh, that I don't believe there's one best answer. I think rather it's this conversation between you and your body and getting really good at listening like you did at such a young age of, hey, this is or is not working. What can I try? How can I adjust? How can I fine tune and come back into more connection with my body? So that's, it's really powerful that you did that at such a young age. I didn't have my like throw a fit and walk out of a doctor's office moment until my late 20s. <laughs> so that's really cool that, you know, you did that at, at such a young age. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, 
like I said, I, I feel blessed to have been at that because that's you know it's a it's a rebel age. It's the perfect time to be like, no, <laughs> I am not gonna keep following this way that is oppressing me, my family, my people, humanity. I'm yeah. So I had the force to do it. Now I'm a little ex- less. Ex- I'm, I'm probably quite a bit less extreme, but um, you know, and really having gone through, especially in that season, I went back to Minnesota. I got much more into those heavy Tomasic foods, like the, just the winter diet and stuff. And, and, uh, although I always, you know, kept it whole foods based and moving back here, I was living with a partner for several years who were both amazing in the kitchen and we just, we're making food all the time, but we were just in my, for me, we were eating more often than I needed to. And, uh, this last year of having my own place and really, um, being able to tune in to my, myself, my own body for an extended period of time and do whatever I want. I can have whatever I want. I don't mind ordering a pizza once a month or something like if I'm, if I'm at that point, I'm going to order a pizza, enjoy it. And I yeah. probably won't want another one for a while. Yeah. You know, like that's just where I'm at. If, if, if I want to have a beer, I have a beer, but I can't be drinking alcohol all the time. It does not put me into a place that I want to be. Um, I fluctuate with coffee. I, you know, I put it down for some weeks or months at a time and then it finds its way back in. And then a couple months later, I'm like, okay, I got to back off again. So I allow these experiences and experiments to happen. But what I find is the common thread is I actually eat pretty primarily raw. Um, just like the climate here, having smoothies every day and salads is just what I want, you know? Yeah. And I boil a pot of pehivai every week and I eat those all week and I boil a pot of hard boil or eggs to hard boil and, um, and, and I eat those, you know, through the week and, once a month, I might get a block of cheese and have that as a little treat or something. But, you know, really the mainstay has come back to like, no, I'm like, uh, I'm going to be 48 in a couple months. Like I'm and I feel every bit as vital as I did in my 20s. And it's really exciting. It's really, really exciting to feel vital and know that my food and and my movement practice um, and my mindset work, my mindfulness practice contribute to me feeling like I'm probably going to be vital most of my life. Yeah. And I got the second half of it in front of me already. Yeah. I think that's the key is like, I don't want to live a long time if that quality of life isn't there. And and we see the way the Western world lives, especially in the United States, like it's not working. <laughs> so I think that it's up to us to make those decisions and those choices for sure. How many so when, people do you know in their 40s who aren't taking pharmaceuticals? You know, very, very, very rare. Actually, of all the clients I've ever worked with in the hospital, like it was very normal to see someone with five to seven medications, even just in their late 30s to mid 40s. Not necessary. I mean, necessary under those conditions, but by changing conditions. <laughs> yeah. And one of the arguments I think control. like. The the people have had, I know, with me and when I made this decision and I fully moved to Costa Rica, I guess, in 2022, um, 
you know, so many people would spit back at me, well, it's easy for you to say because of where you live. And it's a both and. You know, I came here for a lot of reasons that I can live a much, much healthier life. I've reduced a lot of external exposures, but honestly, not as much as you would think. And you can make these choices in Detroit, in Washington, D.C. And in some ways, you have a massive amount of accessibility in these areas if you're willing to put in the extra effort and start paying attention to what your body is telling you. You yeah. know, so many people, yeah. when I work with them, they'll be like, oh, like, I didn't realize how bad I felt until I, until I started to feel better. And I'm like, you just get used to it. And it's like you're just running this programming, this autopilot where you are not connected to the experience of your body and you are focused on the work and the production. And if you have children, keeping the tiny humans alive and you're just not really paying attention to what's going on in your own world. But you can absolutely yeah. live this life. And that's where yours started. Absolutely. That's where mine started. Right. Mm -hmm. In the United States. Um and there, But there are certain pieces that I felt like I couldn't get there, a big one being these regenerative-minded communities and neighborhoods of why I came here. But before we dive in more, because I have a lot of questions on that, you know, a lot of people, when they think about health, they don't really see the connection of how regenerative living, ecological living is connected. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on like how this is all connected as a part of holistic well-being. Mm -hmm. Like you said, I started my path living in Phoenix, Arizona, concrete jungle. Yes, it was hot year round. No, my food was not coming from the local farmer's market, right? I did two, three-year stints in Minnesota where I was very much living in the kind of place that people would say, this is my excuse for not being healthy. And I stayed well. I did what you do. I, I went to the co-op all the time. I did a, a cleanse once a year. I went to the yoga shallow at least once a week. You know, I, um, I did what I had to do to stay well, you know, dietarily and just physically moving my body. Even after living on the farm for seven years and being very fit, just as a consequence of living, I got to the States and after my first year, I was like, oh my God, like I'm starting to get pudgy. Like I'm um, like, just, just cause I'm not moving, you know, not maybe relatively pudgy. Right. But you know, I, it was, um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to make a new pattern. I'm going to take my kid to the playground more often. And I'm actually going to play with them when we go there. That was my new commitment. So I took my kids to the playground frequently and, and played tag with him and the rest of the kids. I was like the only adult playing with the kids almost every time we went. And, but I was like, screw it. This is the time I get to do some run around and jump and do pull-ups and jump onto this bridge and jump off the thing and goof around and move my body, get my heart rate going. So you make choices, you know, that, that you design your environment, no matter what your environment is, you design things into your lifestyle that are going to keep you vibrant, that are going to contribute to your well-being. And so, yes, it is. I, I know people that I when I lived in Minnesota, um, especially the first time I had a bicycle, I biked all around town, even in the winter. They had racks on the fronts of the buses that made that easy. Whatever I had to do to stay, you know, vital, that's, you know, those are the choices I made and I could have made other choices. And sometimes I made other choices. And when I did, after a period of time of feeling, like you said, 
you don't know when you, when you're sick, you don't know how good it is to feel good, you know, until you're there. And once you're there and you start going back, you're like, oh man, this is not how I want to feel, you know? So pushing, that's why I said the pendulum swings, but as the pendulum swings, you, know, you can't always sustain the ultra ideal lifestyle. You can't, it just, it's, it just doesn't, we don't live in that planetary plane, you know, like we live mm -hmm. in a world of duality, so it's going to move, but if you keep aiming it, then when it does swing back, it doesn't go so far back in the other direction and you can keep shifting where that center point is. So yeah, absolutely. Those lifestyles can be lived and environment, you know, uh, Bruce Lipton wrote a amazing book called the biology of belief. And he was a, he was a genetic scientist studying the genome theory and finding that they were on the wrong track, that actually human conditions are far less, uh, determined by the genes that we have and more the environment that triggers those genes to act in one way or another. So he, he did, he was one of the leaders in the, um, uh, the, the quantum physics movement. Uh, he's one of the early scientists with that. And he was, but on a biological level and he was observing that the environment that you put a cell into shifts how that environment, that cell determines the, the, the acts, the, the, the evolution of that cell, the, the health of that cell. And so he started talking about, you know, human beings and, you know, we, we can't really hold people accountable if they don't realize that their environment, their physical environment, their social environment, and their mental environment are affecting their well-being. If you don't know that, you're not accountable. It's unfortunate that we don't teach more of our children this. Mm -hmm. However, once you get that, once you are woken up to the fact that your biology is an expression, direct expression of your environment, you are now responsible for doing your best to create an environment conducive to the well-being state that you want. And for me, I saw that living in the North, going through the winters, I didn't like it. It didn't make me happy. It made me unhappy. It made me depressed or it, the, the conditions led me to feelings I didn't want. And we live in this big planet and I'm able to live somewhere tropical and warm. So I made that choice. Some people love cold weather, thrive on it. They don't belong here. They'd be complaining. A lot of people grow up here and move to Michigan, you know, <laughs> That's their jam. It's what they want, you know, and they, they want the stimulation from that cold. Awesome. They're still responsible for, since they're moving to a place where their emotional mental state is maybe better in that environment and their outer surroundings are better. Their dietarily, their physic, their, like what they choose to put in their body and the people they hang out with is their choice. And there are groups of wellness-minded people 
in every corner of this planet. All of the places of this planet have pockets of wellness-minded people. And now with the internet, it's not hard to find them. So that is definitely one message for people that want to blame their environment. There are many ways to change our environment. And it doesn't have to happen all at once. It can be sequential. If you can't move out of your state right now, then change your social environment or change your dietary environment or read different books for goodness sakes. Stop watching horror movies and action movies where people are just slaughtering each other all the time. Stop. That is your mental environment and it lowers the vibration. It puts images in your head that preoccupies you in different ways than if you were watching uplifting nurturing type movies or better yet reading books on how to improve your financial or health or relationship or spiritual state of being or environment. So you can start no matter where you are and that path is likely to lead you to eventually put yourself in a physical location where you're around people that are aligned with what you've come to align yourself with. Such a beautiful and powerful reminder. And I think that I always think of it as like our diet is so much more than our food. Our diet is what we consume, how we speak, like what we listen to. Like there's so many different pieces that are influencing quite literally this quantum field of energy around you. And it's going to determine how you're feeling and what's expressing and the experience that you have in your body. Um, I love that you brought up Bruce Lipton. So yeah, like I, I really love um, all that work. I'm really into Joe Dispenza's uh, one of his books right now. So I'm like all about it. So this name has been coming up a lot from other people. So I'm like, okay, I need to read some books by Bruce Lipton next. Oh yeah, no, he's he's one of the great elders on the planet right now, sharing his wisdom in whatever format he can. Like most of his stuff is available for free, like you know, in one form or another, or donation or whatever. He's just he's just I got to get this message out before I die. I have to help wake up as many people as possible. You know, it's it's really awesome to see these see these crusaders at that stage of their life where they don't have any needs. He has no needs. He's got enough money. He's got. Seems like in a relatively good state of health. Seems pretty positive. Don't know what his family life is like, but you know, these people are just like, I'm going to just keep spreading my word. I'm going to just keep teaching. I'm going to keep being there for whatever next person is triggered by some next thing I say to make a difference in their life. Yeah. He's beautiful. Amazing. One of the mm-hmm. things you brought up that I, I wanted to speak to was the growing of food and the buying of food and how that happens. And, you know, in the United States, it's much different than what we live here in Costa Rica, but it's still possible. I know that when I was in the United States with my family in Virginia for a bit, we became, that became a family ritual that was really exciting as I started bringing my parents to the farmer's market with me every Saturday. It became a, a nice like bonding experience of like we would go, we would get a coffee or, and we would walk around and we would get fresh food and um, even they had fresh meat, like they had everything. And it was a very small farmer's market in a very small like basic town in America. And that exists in most places if you can start looking. But one of the other things in the United States was 
when I work with clients, it's like, well, the farmer's market is only from this month to this month. And I'm like, well, when you're there, talk to them. Get to know these people that are growing your food. They're canning your food. They're freezing it. They're preserving it. Get to know them. Most of them, what I would do, they had business cards. And so I would take the business cards and you could go visit them on their farms and they still had food. Maybe it wasn't mm-hmm. fresh asparagus, but it was a delicious pickled asparagus. I actually really like it. <laughs> I like mm-hmm. that. You know, like there's other ways that you can go about it that you might not be thinking of and you just need to get creative. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the connection between growing and buying locally sourced food and nutrition. I know I have thoughts about it, but I want to hear your perspective. Well, I mean, on one side, there's just the 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 mathematics of it, the the, the measurements you can take in a laboratory. Yeah, you know, many foods, I'd say most foods, begin to lose nutritional value as soon as they're picked, right? So, any, I, I don't want to say extremes because there might be other things, and then there's the whole thing of fermenting and and some things that need to age a little bit to to have their optimal quality, and there's some things you need to cook to get their optimal quality, but most fruits and vegetables the sooner you can eat them from being picked, the more value you're going to get out of them. So there's just, just the nutritional value of something that's more recently picked is going to be quantitatively higher than something that was picked some weeks ago and shipped to a warehouse and then put on a bunch of trucks to go to some other warehouse to then eventually go to some store and eventually go to your house. So, I mean, that's just, it's not more complicated than that. It's not more theoretical than that. You know, if you can get food, the closer to the source you can get your food, the more nutritional value it's going to have. Uh, I love what you just said about making relationships with your local growers because it's so true. The farmer's market closes at a certain date. They still have food. The vendors still have food. They might not have the same quantity that they did in the half season. Not all the vendors have a bunch of food. Some of the vendors still have food, fresh food even. And you can extend your farmer's market season with relationships um, as well as the canning and all of that that you can get into the seasons that they definitely don't have it. And you might meet that one person who's like, yeah, I've got a... I got a greenhouse. I actually do grow year round and I have a small group of people that are on a subscription model and I send them food and that's a CSA model. And that's something else that uh, can extend your access to local foods in a very convenient way is signing up for local CSA community supported agriculture where one farm or oftentimes a group of farms, you pay ahead of time for four to six months at a time. And they take all that money and data and they know how much food they need to produce. So it's a more efficient way for them to grow food with less waste and get you what you need more consistently for a longer period of time. So people that live in the city, I'm a strong proponent. I think everybody who wants to eat locally should definitely look up a CSA in the area. You might join one for fruits and vegetables. You might join another one for animal products. There might be two different CSAs you join or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's really important. One of the things that I find fascinating is, you know, in the United States, I think especially just that I'm more familiar with this food system, but I'm sure it's similar in Canada and Europe at this point, but maybe not all of Europe. Um, but most of the foods that are coming into these places, like you're, you're, you go in like a Whole Foods, which is like marketed to be healthier, and you've got bananas with a sticker on them that says from Costa Rica, and they ripen differently than they ripen here when we have them on our trees in our yard, and we take them off and we hang them to ripen. And there's this really long journey that they take, and sometimes they're even using different chemicals and different gases to like time the ripening process until they get to a certain destination. And it's just, it's manipulating food in a way that it wasn't meant to. And I think this idea of turning back to nature and being closer to nature and closer to our food is really important. And it might not always be convenient, you know, like I actually take off work on Thursdays because Jason knows what Thursdays are. Thursdays are the big market that we have here with lots of food. And I can't, I don't necessarily go to a grocery store to get my food at whatever time fits my work schedule. I've kind of just morphed and and here's a part of the culture. It's like, well, from 7am to whatever time we're here, this is when we get our food, this is our market. So it's different. And there has to be more planning and more thought and intention with the way you prioritize your time. But this is what's going to make you feel better. Not going to work at 7 a.m. to start your emails early to like get in good with a boss who's not going to be there at the end of your life when you have nothing left to give because you haven't taken care of yourself. You have to be careful Mm -hmm. about really boundaries and where you're prioritizing your time. And -hmm. I will say that there's a lot more thought that will have to go into that and a lot more effort. But you are going to get back so much like tenfold from making those tweaks in your life and starting to connect more with your food, find it locally, connect with your farmers go the extra mile. If you don't have someone that delivers your your food subscription. I know when I lived in the city in Durham, North Carolina, they did. They would bring it to you. It was like epic. But maybe you don't need to do that. You need to have an extra 30 minutes you carve out of your week. But like, please, if you listen to anything on this podcast, please start prioritizing that for your own health. And, and that's one great way that you can start to get to know your community and who's around you and connecting with your food is a great way to do that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And you know, not everybody's a gardener. I've been a permaculturist for 25 years. I have been, I have planted so many gardens around the continent. I love the physical labor. I love pushing wheelbarrows and making the, the rock. My, my my garden I have here, this is the first time in my life that I made my own garden by my own volition just because I wanted to have my own garden. I've always made gardens by other people's impetus. Mm. And this started because I had a pile of rocks live in front of my thing. And, you know, the problem is the solution, as we say in permaculture. So I had this problem of a pile of rocks. I'm like, all right, well, I'm not going to just move rocks just to move them. I'm going to do something awesome with them. I'm going to make some art. I'm going to sculpt my yard a little bit and I might as well shove the, put the shovel in the ground and turn the dirt and you know, so many things, perennials here, you just cut a branch and stick it in the ground. So I went to my neighbors, I cut a bunch of stuff, I put it in the ground and now I keep it watered. It's a lazy man's garden, (laughs) but I love it. And I guess I'm just saying that to say that I have been a big proponent for growing food and buying local without being a gardener. I've been the permaculturist who works on the 
the administrative side of things, the business systems, the volunteer management, the employee management, the resource acquisition, the training, so that other people who want to learn how to do this stuff and who actually like tending to the little seeds and all of that, that they can do it without having to worry about those other things that they don't like. So we are part of a human ecosystem. And this is really important when we think about, you know, there's... You know, there's, there's, there's people that would come to my farm or a permaculture education center. We had a lot of food in the ground, but we weren't, we had a lot of people coming by too. And we weren't growing enough food to feed everybody all their meals. And then you get somebody with some idealism saying like, oh, you're not self-sufficient. Well, I don't want to be self-sufficient. I want to be part of a community, a regional community. I want to support my neighbors who love growing food. And, you know, that's another thing, like, by supporting the people at the farmer's market, your neighbors who love growing food, you're just one step away from having, you're participating in its growth. And, and projects that are buying local in order to feed their people, but they're not growing it all themselves, like lay off the judgment because yeah. they got a lot going off trying to put new roofs up to host people who aren't their family for temporary periods of time, you know, like... So, um, yeah, just to say that part of the human ecosystem, we're, we're responsible for playing our role and participating in the whole in whatever ways makes sense when we evaluate our most regenerative choices. So there's no perfect choice. There's no perfect lifestyle. There's no perfect choice of where you fit in the ecosystem in your region or your community. And there's should be no judgment of the people who aren't doing the thing that you love to do. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's balance. I know for me, I've, I've never grown a ton of food. When I lived in the United States, I, you know, I had like a little urban garden and I would have cucumbers and tomatoes and peppers. Peppers did so well. And I had so many, I miss all my fresh jalapenos. Um, you know, but here in Costa Rica, you know, I grow a lot of medicinal plants for teas and for different ailments or different herbs. And that's really it. I don't actually grow food. I, I mean, I have a lot of bananas and oranges and limes here, like in my yard. And I, but you don't have to pay attention to them here. It's like magical. They just yeah. with no effort, you have a like lifetime supply of bananas, you know. So that's just how I do it. And, you know, we've got this community of all these people having and pulling in all these other pieces and one of the things i like we have a really small market a smaller market i think it's great you can honestly get a lot there um on wednesdays here and even hearing the intentionality behind it that went into it of and there was community talk in the chat even of you know we already have people who give this 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 and this like what are we missing what would actually add to make a robust variety what could we contribute to the community and i'll even hear conversations of people being like well I really want to offer something to this community and to serve like what's lacking where's a gap that I can fill like how can I get creative here um, and I think that that's a really cool part of thinking about how you can contribute to this overall well-being and how you can support and I feel so blessed because there's so many talented people too in the community where we live where I have I really feel like I have everything I need to be so supported like I like mm -hmm. in, on my path of holistic health and I think that like that's one of the coolest pieces too of 
considering, you know, how can you support others and and give and be of service to the community and to the region? Yeah, absolutely. We were talking about that earlier about wellness services, you know, and and growing food is it's a wellness service, you know. It's it's and and besides, you know, the the quantitative nutritional reasons to buy local, there's also just keep the money in the community. Like man, if 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 you have an option to go do an entertainment and pay your money to somebody that money is going to disappear and go to some multinational something or other, like some big stadium or something, or you could go to a small regional local gathering on, on ethic, maybe choose to keep your money in the community. If you have the option to buy your food from the grocery store or the farmer's market and you're like, Oh, I know tomorrow's the market day, but today I really want this thing because I have a desire. So I'm going to just go to the grocery store and buy. And since I'm there, I'm going to buy other things. So maybe I'm not going to go to the farmer's market tomorrow. Right. I mean, if that's what you want to do, then do it. But you would be a more powerful member of your community. And it's a good stoic practice to not always satisfy all of your needs and just be like, all right, well, yeah, you know, I'll just make something with what I got and not go to the store and really have a purpose to go to the farmer's market tomorrow. Um, you know, wellness services, we, you know, it was, can I do the Thai, the Thai body work? And, you know, I offer a sliding fee scale here at my house. Now, if you want me to come do a house call, I've got higher rates. That's that's asking a lot from a therapist. But if you're going to come to them, or if you're gonna if you have a home based practice or something, offer a sliding fee scale. I mean, even though I have a pretty wide scale, sometimes people pay me on the low end, and that's only because they're living and working in this low end local economy, and that's what they can afford humbly. That's what they have, and I humbly and graciously receive it. And if somebody has high-end clients and they're, you know, buying all the fancy foods when they go out and they're throwing money all over the place and like pay me a professional rate, I'm giving a pro service here, you know? So that's, you know, that's what I tell people at the end of my session is, I don't know, pay me whatever you think an excellent two-hour body session, body work session would cost or what you would feel good paying for a two, an excellent two-hour body work session and leaving it to them because I don't want to make my services inaccessible. I don't want people in my local community to not get body work, not practice self-care because they feel like they can't afford it, right? And, you know, yeah, just this thing about the circular economy, like keeping, don't be afraid to spend your money locally. Sometimes I buy something from somebody, you know, at a farmer's market just because I can see like, <laughs> they kind of need, they've had a slow day and like, oh, okay, I'll get some of these little things from you or something, you know, and just to share the wealth because I know this person is going to spend it at somebody else's market booth, you know, that's going to fund their nursery that's serving plants and trees to somebody else in the community. So that thousand colones I pay to one person, it's going to influence multiple people in the community because I was just willing to share the wealth locally. And that kind of mindset really breeds a healthy culture 
and community, regional community. And that's what we have here in this area is a lot of people who are really open to supporting each other and putting themselves out there. Like, I got this thing. I know it's a little weird and different, but it's kind of my passion. So mm -hmm. I'm going to make a post and say I do it. And I'm going to hold a little event and see if some people show up. And it's like, oh, well, some people showed up. That's beautiful, you know, and then and then you made a little bit and they got to share a little bit and then the connections and the bonds and the relationships grow. And these are the you know, there's this great article on the eight forms of capital that talks about financial capital is only one of the many forms of capital and the living that's a it's not a living capital. It's actually uh, as many would describe it as a degenerative capital, but we have living capital if of plants. We have living capital of culture, cultural exchanges, social capital, experiential capital. You know, these things that grow when we use them. Mm -hmm. And so really tapping into that as a lifestyle paradigm, as a lifestyle choice, as a, a personal identification with how you walk in the world is to really acknowledge that even though the value isn't a financial exchange that if I continue to feed my culture, if I continue to feed my community, if I continue to nurture my neighbor, my needs are going to get taken care of. I'm going to live in a better place. It's been really powerful to experience it here. And although, you know, we don't live in, you know, an intentionally planned neighborhood of some kind, and I went and I visited so many of those across Costa Rica. So, you know, most of them were lovely. I ended up choosing here because here, even though it's just more like everyone's really doing their own thing, which is cool. Like there's some incredible projects and things happening. It, to me, this felt like one of the most grounded communities where people really live here and they invest a lot of time and energy into cultivating a community here in a way that I didn't necessarily experience in a planned neighborhood where you buy a lot and you're a part of a thing. Um, and so this is personally what worked for me and what I really liked. And it's been really incredible to see just how it can work. And it's not perfect. We certainly have our moments. I really love to laugh sometimes at our community WhatsApp chat when it just gets chaotic, you know, like it's not perfect. We're figuring it out. Okay. <laughs> but um, it's really really beautiful to see that this is how life can be. And I think that if you're frustrated right now with the state of the world, I don't know a single human who's not. And don't worry about what's happening up there. I, I do. I like to go down all the rabbit holes. But focus where you're actually investing your time and energy into what's happening right where you live right with the yeah. people in your neighborhood because this is yeah. how we make change. And just like you said, the circular economy of like, Money is our main resource that we think of, and we're reinvesting that resource, that energy, and infusing it right back into this place where we're living. That's powerful. And so I hope that, you know, if you've listened to this episode, maybe it sparked something where you're like, oh, like it's clicking and I get it. And, and, and maybe you can do something differently where you live with the people around you, because that's really how I believe that we're going to change the future, uh, the trajectory of our world. One last piece I want to add to that circular economy bit is that, you know, the it's not just about keeping our money local, you know, and, and like I mentioned, it's about it's about 
contributing our energy local, our intention, our support local. It's also about waste management. It's a massive, important part of, mm. of circular economy that we really start, we, we get out of the mindset of like, I'm just going to consume whatever I want in whatever number of plastic this is and that's, and I'm going to just, I'm going to recycle it, you know? And it's just like, man, if you haven't figured it out yet, recycling programs are not what you think they are. Terrible, uh, What a lot yeah. of people think they are. So I save my jars and I give them back to the vendors I buy the food from. You know, like little things like that, um, you know, reducing before reusing and recycling. And yeah, and like really think about like, oh, I could buy these two things. One of them's a package I'm definitely going to throw out. The other package is one that I can reuse or give back to the vendor. I'm going to take the time, the inconvenience to once every couple months load up a bag with all the jars I get from that person. Or every week when I go there, take the old jar and give it back to them when I buy the new thing. Those are also portions of circular economy that I really encourage people to uh, embrace and practice and look deeper into glass jars feel like a currency in costa rica like you like you know someone's like when you have a glass jar collection and like using them for tupperware and you can give them back and yeah i love it <laughs> it's a beautiful piece mm -hmm. um any final thoughts or anything on your mind before we wrap up today's episode holistic wellness means that you just look at as many aspects of your life as possible and create micro environments wherever possible where you're you're walking in a good way where you're you're bringing wholeness into you and you're giving wholeness out and that requires breaking free from the individualistic mentality that many of us grow up with culturally and really offering ourselves giving of ourselves and receiving the giving of others and making these small choices it's a daily practice and man seeing my state of well-being compared to maybe friends or family that are still living in michigan and haven't made the decisions I've made at the same age, it's worth it. Start now. Do what you can and keep going. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful reminder to be more intentional and, and a call for self-responsibility. So thank you so much for being here and for your time. And in the show notes, we've linked up where you can connect with Jason on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. He has a podcast and he also has it on YouTube, which I love. I love watching video on YouTube. Maybe one day we'll do that with our podcast. We'll see. Um, but all of those links are in the show notes so that you can stay connected. If you want to hear more about how his eco tour went, I know I'm going to be following. So thank you so much. Yeah. And when you're there, I really encourage people to join, uh, sign up for my newsletter through my website. It's, uh, it's, I've got a lot of cool things uh, in the works, uh, great regenerative events, online programs, and I'm promoting some really, really neat projects in the country. And uh, they're, they, they need more awareness. And if you're into that kind of thing, uh, follow along. Amazing. On that note, let's cue that music. Bye, y'all. 
Thank you for listening to the Health Unfiltered podcast. Make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform, rate the podcast, and share this episode. Connect with me, Dr. Alzola, on Instagram at ROI Health. For more details on all things sports and human performance coaching, visit GetROIHealth.com. You can find me, Brooke West, on Instagram at WestNutrition.co. For all the ways we can work together on nutrition and holistic health, visit WestNutrition.co. And don't forget to send us your epic questions of the week on Instagram at HealthUnfilteredPod. Catch you next time.